We didn't live and die over high density. Uh, that makes the rebound a little easier for us. And I think we've seen like new businesses open. I've heard a couple other mayors of mid-sized cities say, yeah, like we've increased our number of businesses over COVID. Uh, so I think that that's like the, the rebound for mid-sized cities will be very different than the bigger cities. Welcome to the A-Fire podcast, now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Essential to all of us is to listen to the voices and the leadership at the local level, which we, we really don't do enough of. So I'm, I'm particularly pleased to have uh, Mayor Whaley, uh, who runs a town uh, in the Midwest in the United States called Dayton, Ohio, um, to talk about the experiences that she's having now and the experiences uh, that she hopes to be having in the years to come. So thank you so much, uh, Mayor Whaley, for joining us on the AFIRE podcast. Gunnar, thank you. It's a pleasure to be on today. So uh, why, why don't we just start with the, the elephant in the room? Uh, you know, how many lockdowns have we had or where are we? How many variants? Uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's overwhelming. Uh, all of us, a lot of folks are working from home. The downtowns of cities are, are I wouldn't say desolate, but they're certainly underpopulated. Um, how is this affecting Dayton? Well, it's been interesting as a mid-sized city how I think uh, COVID in a weird way, it's been tough on lots of people in our communities, but um, it's not been as difficult as what I hear in some of the bigger cities, frankly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my uh, city manager teased at the beginning of COVID because, you know, we're not a super dense city. And, you know, as, a, as someone that loves cities, we're always talking about the importance of density, the importance of collisions. And she said, for once, not being dense has, has worked in our favor. And certainly COVID has, has helped that because we do have a lot more space. And I felt this. I was in Washington, D.C. two weeks ago and was doing a lot of meetings. And every single person said, oh, this is my first meeting I've had in person. And um, I was like surprised because we've been doing, you know, weather masks. We've been doing meetings since like June and in Dayton and across Ohio. And I think it, and, but I, I felt when I was in DC Gunner, like even you can in, like post COVID, you can fill the space much closer. Right. Yeah. So even in their office space or where people are working, it's much more closer quarters uh, yes. because there's just a lot more people in those really, you know, highly populated cities in um, the Midwest. I think, uh, there's, we have a lot more space, even in our, like the way we office, the way we uh, work and the way we live. And so in a weird way, I think it's allowed us to kind of step into COVID and step back in a little easier than, and, you know, in that, um, that those cities that have just enormous density. I mean, so. it's one of those things that people don't necessarily look at all the time, but just the, the, the normal personal space in these different cities is different. Uh, yeah, I, you know, honest, honest to God, I didn't notice it at all until COVID, right? And I was like, I really felt it when I was in DC. I was like, oh, yeah, nobody. I mean, I get like, I get why you all couldn't work. You know, yeah, I mean, like you are on top of each other in this room. So, uh, but that's not the case here, right? We have mm -hmm. a lot more, uh, I think, as Midwesterners and probably out West, even more, you know, not California, but like in, you know, the Dakotas or whatever you know, we're not as close to people. We're not, you know, we don't work that close together. 
um, our personal space is a little more wide and where we live is a little more wider, right? We don't have um, as much density when we're talking about people living in single family homes versus um, versus apartment complexes. You know, I've talked to my friends in New York City and, you know, living through COVID in New York City versus living through COVID in Dayton, Ohio are like night and day, right? Mm-hmm. Night and day. You know, I walk my dog every morning, never run into anybody in the morning, you know, in my neighborhood, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I think that's, I think that makes my COVID experience not nearly as t- tough as uh, the experience of my friends that live in, in super urban cities. Oh, I, certainly. I mean, living in Chicago and spending a lot of time in D.C., I, I have noticed a lot of interesting strategies for people to get out of each other's way. Yeah. I spend more time walking down the center of the street than I ever did before um, mm-hmm. as, as a strategy. So, I, I mean, are you seeing any changes or any signs of changes in terms of migration, in terms of, of, of use, in terms of, I mean, we hear all these stories of, from the U-Haul company saying that, uh, you know, there's more stuff going out of these major cities than there is going in. Uh, is some of it going to Dayton? Yeah, I think we've noticed that. Um, and it's just all anecdotally. I don't have any data. I look forward to the data coming. But I do think what COVID did, and I was just talking to some students this morning, um, you know, I think COVID did a couple of things. Number one, just like on the science of space and social distancing, that is different. And then secondly, I noticed a lot of people were like, well, you know, I had to move back home to my parents or I had to get back to take care because I had to be with them and they were my pod. And so I'm just saying. And so the boomerang effect has been higher um, than I think in past. And then also um, people have told me like somebody in again, DC two weeks ago, well, I, I, I wrote out the pandemic in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, you know, uh, <laughs> my family's there. I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, that's interesting yeah. how, so I think, I mean, for the bigger cities, I think people will move back in. I mean, it's where things happen and, uh, where, uh, opportunities are, but I do think there will be people that end up saying, you know what, this kind of lifestyle is not as hard. Uh, is not as tough. I still have the great amenities of an, of a city, but I don't have to you know pay as much or work as hard. And so I do think COVID does give us. Uh, I think when it bears out, it will have given Dayton a bit of an opportunity there, which is really the first time we've experienced anything in like a national or international trend that has actually been good for a mid-sized city, frankly. Yep. over the past four or five decades. I, I wonder too, and the jury's still out in terms of how much of this there's going to be, but it's hard to believe that there won't be more than there was before COVID in terms mm-hmm. of remote working and people saying, you know what, I'm going to live in Dayton and I'll be there with my parents or mm-hmm. you know extended family or something like that, but I will continue my job in New York and go there you know, once a quarter or something like right. that. Right. I'm hearing um, a lot I mean, of that. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I wonder, I mean, are there concerns around things like, you know, being ready for that kind of higher level of bandwidth, uh, you know, kind of the support for that sort of things? I mean, are, I mean I'm, I'm sure, you know, based on the bandwidth we have right now that you're fine, but, you know, is that something that's a, a, of any concern in your long-term planning? Well, certainly, I mean, so the, the interesting thing about Dayton is because we were built for much, many more people, we have the infrastructure in place. So it's mm-hmm. not, and this has been one of my arguments federally over and over again, is that you know, when, when the, when the country and federal policy forgets about, um, they, like, for example, in the change in manufacturing or the change in steel, and now we see the change in, in energy, uh, you know, the, the thoughts of economists has been that everybody's going to be a rational actor and just move to where the jobs are. And that doesn't happen all the time. People do stay back first. And secondly, it's not really effective, right? So because the federal 
policy does dictate winner and loser regions and winner and loser cities. And you should really pay attention because you won't have to build as much infrastructure if you pay attention to cities that are already built out. So our broadband, like we have a really strong fiber network. We have, you know, very wide roads. We have a lot of support here. So yeah, so we are, we are very well able to handle more people in Dayton uh, and to have that opportunity. The The other interesting thing I've noticed coming out of COVID in the city is that all of our restaurants are super, super full. Like people are super happy to be back. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's hard to get a, a, a reservation on Saturday. Um, and it's, and you know, I mean, there is some issues of um, people not wanting to do that kind of work anymore. And so like server in, or the pay is too low for them. And so there are some server issues in the restaurant industry, but I mean, many of them are full and they're full all day. Like they're full the whole day and evening. So I think people are excited about, you know, getting back in their community and compared to other communities, our retail space loss, well, I don't think was as dramatic as I've seen in other communities. We still have some work to do in it. It's still a challenge for us, but. Um, Hearing you talk, I mean, it occurs to me that to a certain extent, what we're seeing is that uh, Dayton and other cities got used to low density over a period of 40 or 50 years yeah. and uh, you kind of know how to handle it. Yes. Yeah. This is unfortunately <laughs> we're okay at. Uh, yeah. And like, look, we want higher density. We want, like, let me be clear as an urban enthusiast, I want more density in Dayton and more density in our cities. And I want people to move into urban communities. I do believe collisions and connectivity with people are really, really key. Uh, I'm super grateful we had technology to get us through. Um, but I do think there's no replacement for, and I just see this from City Hall and other groups that I work with, how much faster you work when you're in the in the room with the people that you're working yeah. with versus not. You know, it's just, you can do some remote working if it's like, here's what I do every day. But if you're trying to innovate, if you're trying to figure out a problem, it's really difficult to do when you're not in the same room. So it's just or, or not you're, you're trying to reach consensus. You're trying to persuade. You're trying to do, you right. know, a lot of the things that you do. Yeah. Right. It'd be really hard without the handshake, without the, you know, let's share a meal together. Let's do this. Let's do that. Right. Let's, let's have some, you know, create trust. Because, I mean, why do we do international travel, right? You know, we yeah. do that because there's no other way to do it, to really understand each other and get in their shoes. It's the same idea uh, on a local level. So. So yeah, so I think um, I think that's and people seem. I mean, I do think too. The other thing I've noticed is some folks are trepidation about coming back to work. Of course, especially if they have folks that are you know immunocompromised or kids. Like it's still it's still COVID's among us. Uh, but there is a relief to like oh yeah this this was better. This is this is why we did this this way, right? <laughs> uh, this does make sense on the work of like why we're working. But I mm -hmm. do I. Honestly, Gunnar, I think that COVID is going to have dramatic effects on how people view work in general over the next five years and, and how people, what people, per, like it, it is, it was such a dramatic change in everyone's lives that it made everyone just take stock and say, well, do I like this? Do am I doing it because I have to, because I want to, you know, and I think there's going to be some, or, you know, or is, is there another way around this problem of work? Uh, or I love work, you know? So I think, I think it, it, because it's such an individual decision, uh, on a lot of that with personal, like for your family or for yourself, I think that, that we're going to see a big difference in how people attack the issue of work in America uh, post-COVID, I believe. So given all the, you know, and, and uh, given all the changes that are likely to happen in terms of permanent behavioral shifts, uh, which, you know, we can't define them exactly yet, but I think you have a really good idea of, of directions it's going to go. Um, but given all that, I mean, what do you think the future is for a secondary uh, market like Dayton? What, 
what are the opportunities? Yeah, so I think there's actually a lot. You know, we just, in the midst of COVID, we opened this um, arcade uh, project, which has um, been, been really covered a lot nationally because I think it's a surprise that people, that it's in Dayton. It's a, it's a multi-use space with uh, apartments, uh, has a communal space of like a, a historic site, and then uh, is partnered with the University of Dayton as an entrepreneurship center uh, and they're already full, um, coming right out of COVID. I just was there last week and they're like, we're booked. We got to find some more space. So, I mean, that is not something you would expect to see right out of COVID. Right. Um, uh, so I, I do think, and, and, and also, you know, keep in mind, we're, we're going to have significant challenges in Dayton because we still hadn't come out of the great recession. We're still like one third of the regions in the country that we're still not at job numbers from pre-recession. And we're, I'm talking about the 9-10 recession. So this has been a very tough recession time for us for a decade. But what I do see is um, there's not as, because the challenges Dayton's been through, there doesn't seem much angst about it, but like more about opportunity. And, you know, the opportunity for investment in the urban core just kept on going. And the um, opportunity, the, the housing shortage is a very real issue in, in my community and in the region. Um, so all of those things, you know, every single indicator from, you know, home builders to, you know, iron workers to carpenters, like the work is really, really good in Ohio right now. And I think the mid-sized city is what's driving that. In terms of the housing crisis, which is certainly a national issue and, and, and getting worse, um, how are you approaching it from a governmental standpoint to uh, help smooth the way towards a, a, a higher velocity of construction? Yeah, so look, we have a lot of space in Dayton. One of the challenges we had uh, before was we had, like, we've always, you know, since I've been mayor, we've had this housing mismatch. Like, we had dilapidated housing that was vacant and not enough housing people wanted to move into. So we've been really working on investing in housing in, in areas that have market. Uh, and that has been a great, great success. We're now moving into places that we call like tipping point neighborhoods, neighborhoods that could go either way and doing some investment there. So then we can move the housing market there. Uh, so that has been successful. We're not building it fast enough. Dayton still has a pretty old housing stock. And so getting new housing into the center city is really important. Um, so that's what we're trying to do. Uh, the other thing is we're working, you know, Dayton is a poor city, so we do have an eviction crisis. It's a completely different eviction crisis than they talk on the West Coast. It's almost like we're talking a different language um, when we're talking about homelessness, uh, about homelessness and how homelessness works in a poor city, four season city versus a one or two season city. Uh, and so, but really like leaning in on how we can make sure that both renters and landlords don't get disrupted too much coming out of COVID is a big, big priority for the government. And like, you know, this moratorium lifting is not helpful right now, you know, as we're going into this Delta variant, like it's not helpful. We still, it's still pretty volatile on the, on the um, more poor end of our community. So we spend a lot of time on that and trying to not, not that we have any power, like I can't decree anything as mayor on this, but, you know, convening and communicating to both uh, folks that are providing services to folks that are in um, are housing insecure, and then also to our state and federal stakeholders, like, hey, you can do better here, and here's how. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to, um, um, you know, you've, you, you're a proponent of density, you're a proponent of, of, um, of creating housing. Uh, are there some restrictions in the current zoning 
regime in the different neighborhoods that keep that from happening? Or is that relatively open? It's pretty open in Dayton. I've heard that from other cities and it's not like a big issue here. Uh, you know, if people want to, I mean, it's pretty flexible. And like, look, I think developers come to Dayton, even coming to like, you know, we call Ohio, they'll have three C cities, Columbus, Cleveland, and Cincinnati. And so they'll come to Dayton or Akron or Toledo and they'll be like, oh, like you guys really, whatever you want. Like, yeah, like you want to build something? Yeah, we're all for it. And and it's not just the government, like the citizens are. So it's not like the government isn't listening. To, no, no, no. Like we're all for the build. So, uh, and the community is excited about it too. So again, it's just because we've had this like four or five decade slump, you know, that the opportunity people, people are just mesmerized by the opportunity. And I think that you see that in mid-sized cities a lot. So when I hear that in other cities, that that's a challenge. And, you know, a lot of like the California cities, I'm like, oh, that is so fascinating. That is not the case. <laughs> not the case here. So you're, you don't have NIMBYs, you have YIMBYs. Yes, in my backyard, please. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're really excited. <laughs> I mean, like anytime an apartment complex comes in, it's like, yes, yes, that's great. More, more, more. So it's pretty exciting. And keep in mind, you know, we, we're going to have this um, um, uh, effort called, you know, Undesign the Red Line. Like, look, Dayton has some, you know, in its history, has some pretty uh, racist policies around how it was developed. Uh, and so Dayton, the proper, still holds most of the poverty, still holds most of the Section 8, still holds most of um, the, the, um, the subsidized housing for the entire region. So mm. any market rate, and this is and this is my point about it. It's not like we're moving those folks out because we are not dense again. You know, you can bring market rate in, and it it, it completely changes everybody's quality of life, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, it, and and it's not someone's getting kicked out. That's not happening. That's not happening in Dayton. Nobody's getting kicked out. It's just a new building is being built next to you, and so that that changes the whole market of the of the neighborhood. Uh, and that just, I mean, so it provides less drama than you see in other cities. It provides more opportunity. Um, you can, you know, make big impact and everybody really pretty much likes you uh, as a developer, which I know is more difficult in other cities these days. So it's pretty exciting. Right. You know, I, I do know some developers and investors that, you know, just long to be liked. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, they, they're, they're tired of everyone seeing them with the, the villainous uh, glasses or something. Uh, right. I mean, I hear time, this, so. you know, in other cities, like some developer, like, I think in Dayton, they're like, oh, so where, where, Let's where? So, and I think the other thing is uh, what we've noticed is, you know, cause we've started to get developers from Columbus, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, right? So a lot right. of our developers are from those communities and they are, so, I mean, I'm gonna, they are like, oh, your, your staff, every, I mean, they are so happy in Dayton. So like, <laughs> I think, I think that tells you just, and, and they're making money, you know, so it's not, yeah. like, it's not just like they're doing this. I know developers who need a business and they're not doing it out yeah. of their heart. So, uh, so I've been very excited about that and have not heard, you know, anything from neighborhood leaders. Like, it's like, this is great. Everybody's very uh, happy about it. So I, I just, you know, I, I guess it's be happy, come to Dayton. Exactly. Um, exactly. You know, you know that, that, if you want to make great. some money. You're interested in growth. You're interested in opportunity. And I mean, look, I mean, it's a pretty can-do place. We're, you know, we're a very resilient city. Uh, and I, do, I don't think Dayton is unique in this. You know, I, I, when I talk to the other mid-sized cities in the Mid-Atlantic and Midwest. And, you know, we also are near Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which is the largest single-site side employer in the state of Ohio. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's technically not in any city, but it's, in, you know, because it's federal, but it's like in Dayton. 
Uh, and, you know, that just gives us huge opportunity for tech and tech spinoff that it, it's affectionately called by Air Force folks as the Air Force's brain. And so, you know, all of the kind of research that comes from the Air Force and that kind of work is is done here. And so it's kind of like a secret about Dayton that people don't really know. Um, but it helps us then again with that knowledge economy. So we're excited about that too. Well, I, I'm very much looking forward to seeing Dayton listed near the top of the list of the international investors uh, kind of favorite markets over the next couple of years. Uh, but we'll see what happens. This is interesting. So, um, well, we've run out of time. And uh, thank you uh, for uh, spending some time uh, on the AFIRE podcast. Gunnar, I had a great time. Thanks for, thanks for asking about my city. You've been listening to the A-Fire Podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. A-Fire is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the A-Fire Podcast, may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable. A-Fire is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in the A-Fire Podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of A-Fire. To learn more about the A-Fire Podcast, including underwriting and guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast.